All right, welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang, and I am joined by Mr. Excuse me, not Mr. Chief Master Sergeant Kevin Burns. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, thanks. I appreciate you being uh, the, extending the invitation to be on your show. This is a lot of fun. Oh, well, absolutely, man. You know, we've, we've met a few times, uh, you know, I've gone to a couple of, a couple of the uh, airmen's gigs and got a chance to hang with you a little bit. And, yeah, I've, I've always been impressed with your playing. Uh, I mean, you have a tremendous sound. I mean, just an absolute gorgeous sound. Uh, and you're one of the few players who's actually uh, almost as much of an upstream player as I am. So it's always nice to hear somebody play <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that's got that kind of set, you know, because I, oh, yeah. I, want, I want to see what For it's sure. all about. <laughs> so, uh, you know, let's just, let's kind of jump into things. I mean, you have been, uh, you've been in the, in the Air Force for what, about 27 years now? Over 27 years, it's coming, yeah, about 27 and a half years. It, this last uh, November is when I passed 27 years. And uh, it's hard to believe they went by that fast. It makes me the old guy in the band. It makes me almost the oldest guy in the entire Air, United States Air Force band. Uh, wow. So that that's kind of a different feeling. And now I'm meeting uh, people that come and win auditions for the United States Air Force band, for example, uh, who were born after I got into the service. That's even super weirder. So it's like, yeah, wow. it's a, it's a unique uh, place in my career to be, but uh, I wouldn't change a thing and I would do it all over again if I, if I could. Yeah. Well, I, it's, it's really interesting because a lot of people have, um, like anything, you know, people have mixed emotions about, uh, you know, being the military band and things like that. But, um, you know, I've heard from so many players that, you know, that's kind of like their dream gig. And you know, it's like, I would love to get into a military band because, you know, hey, you're getting paid and paid well uh, to play music, especially if you're a jazz player. If you're if you love playing big band, there aren't that many there really aren't that many touring big bands anymore. And the ability to to play the kind of music that you love to get paid, to have benefits, which if you're on a road, if you're a road musician, you don't have those things. Um it sounds like the the kind of the dream gig. So, um, yeah, I know everything has got its its price that you have to pay. But um, you know, at, with twenty seven years, you obviously have loved it. What are the the biggest things that you've gotten out of your time as a uh, member of the uh, Air Force? Well, it's uh, it's been it, it matches my kind of sensibility perfectly in that I have always liked stability. So. It always uh, made me nervous, the prospect of being like a freelancer. Uh, you know, in the back of my mind, I always thought, would that, you know, could I do that? Could I move to a big town and make a living being a freelancer? And I think probably could, maybe in a different era, take me back 30 years ago or more, like when it was really the heyday. You know, I could just like, that, that would, I'd be comfortable in that zone when, when live music was all over the place. Uh, you know, sometimes I feel like I, I should have grown up in the, uh, been a pro in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, right. the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Um, so the uh, the stability was a, a huge draw for me. Um, and it's interesting, when I first got uh, a call from a friend about coming into an opening, uh, unlike most people here in, in the D.C. Air Force Band, I, I've been in a couple other Air Force Bands. I actually started at the one in uh, San Antonio, Texas. And that was from a call from a friend that I had been had played a lot with. And uh, he said, I don't know if you have any interest, but uh, we have an opening down here. Um, and so 
right at that time, I had just, I'd been playing a lot, uh, but I but I had also uh, kind of went for a backup plan, so to speak. I actually graduated with a master's in business administration. So I was ready to go uh, the safe route, like that, like the whole, you know, sense, sensible safety zone kind of thing that I'm kind of wired to do. Um, and so right at the time I was interviewing for like corporate bank loan officer jobs and this kind of this for, uh, for my MBA, he called me. And, uh, and so it was like, go play the trumpet. Probably not as good starting pay as a, you know, this other job, this, these other corporate jobs. Uh, but you'd be having a lot of fun. You'd still be playing the trumpet. You'd still be working with musicians. So I went down there and auditioned. And lo and behold, it was a split lead position. Uh, and the lead trumpet player was Paul Stevens. Uh, and, you know, if you're a trumpet player, you know who Paul is. Uh, he went on to be uh, the lead player for the jazz ambassadors, uh, the army jazz ambassadors before he retired. I mean, just a, just a crazy sick lead trumpet player. Yeah. And I was like, this is really going to be fun. Like, you know, just to be able to, to be uh, in the presence and playing next to somebody like that. And the whole band was great. There were some extraordinary players. There was uh, Fareed Barron on piano, who was the first piano player with Winton's Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra. Like there were some all-stars in this this uh, little band in San Antonio. So I was, I was like, all right, I'm doing it. Um, so we, me and my wife at the time, we went down to San Antonio. I joined the Air Force. Uh, and then after three years, uh, I went to the, I won a job at the Academy Band playing lead for the Falconeers. Uh, so I was kind of following openings, you know, so that, that job hadn't been open for 25 years. Uh, the lead player, uh, you, probably, you probably know the name, Chris uh, Walters, he was okay. uh, their lead player for 25 years, just an incredible lead player. He just sounded like Doc Severinsen, just a huge big fat sound. Uh, so I took over for him. I was there for five years. Uh, had a great time. It's a it's a beautiful place, Colorado Springs and the the Rocky Mountains. Uh, and then I got a chance to audition for an opening for the Airman of Note. So I actually had three uh, auditions in my Air Force career. Um, so the timing came open with a note, and that spot hadn't been open for at least 15 years. Uh, Bruce Gates, friend of mine, who was uh, who was the split lead player, and uh, so. Uh, fortunately, I was able to uh, to win that audition and just get with one of the most incredible big bands uh, in the world. And it's just uh, it's been a kick in the pants every day since. It, I, I've never gotten used to it. Just sitting down in the middle of that band, we count off a tune, and and it's just like just hold on for dear life. It's just an incredible experience, and I, I feel lucky every day that I've been able to do it. Uh, now here in D.C. for going on 19 years. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to uh, study with two guys that, that have been through the, the military band stuff. Uh, you know, I, I spent probably about a good uh, four years or so studying with John Bry, who was the split lead player with the Jazz Ambassadors. And I also uh, had, had studied for you know, maybe about a couple of years with Vaughn Nark, who was, you know, one of the former players with the Airmen. So I got to be kind of uh, intimately introduced to the repertoire of of uh, those bands, and you know, not only hearing the stories, but uh, you know, getting some insight into uh, kind of the mindset uh, that it takes to be in those bands, and um, it, you know, in in sometimes hearing stories about well, yeah, this guy, 
you know, came in's a great player, but he just didn't have the he wasn't cut out to be a military guy. He wasn't cut out to be in, in this kind of a, this kind of a band a little bit, you know, so, you know, it just wasn't a good fit, but it seems that when people were the good fits that they just, you know, they were lifers, they, they were there, you know, because it was just such a good gig. So, um, you know, you, you've mentioned a couple of times, uh, you know, the fact that you play split lead and, that I had never really heard that terminology that much uh, until, you know, working with these guys. And so uh, could you take a moment and explain to people, uh, you know, what what is a split lead player? And then also let's let's talk about some of the, the characteristics, like, you know, how you define it. What do you consider to be the your role in the band and, and how do you how do you fulfill those those uh, requirements? Yeah, that's a great question because uh, uh, it probably is kind of a position that you don't think about a lot. But I think the military bands, um, in particular, that I've played with, and all of the bands in DC, uh, which happens to be, which happens to have, you know, four of the the top big bands around, and they're just it's it's a it's an unusual city. DC is not hard to put together a big band. If you yeah. just if somebody wants to hire a big band, you, you can quickly put together one of the best big bands you've ever heard, because you got these these uh, full time bands working out of DC for the mil- for the different branches of the service, and uh, so, and they all put their trumpet sections basically together in the the same way. So because of the demands of the the band, it's a you know it's a very demanding band to be in. the the charts are just crazy off the off the grid like anywhere from hard to just to just uh, uh, artistically complex and and it just it's just like going into a boxing match you're just you're just pounding your chops for, for a couple hours uh, like you've never had before and so most of the, all the the bands here in town the big bands they think in terms of the trumpets getting at least two lead players and two jazz players um, because I most of the lead players are like you know I if I had to do, if I had to carry the lead all night long, every night, every day, every rehearsal for this kind of big band, which is just a constant, uh, a constant pounding of your chops, you know, it, you would you would burn out pretty quickly, and th- and there's really no need to. If you can get, if you can attract the players, you can get a couple of good, great lead players in there, uh, then you can kind of share the load. Now, in in, uh, in the Airman notes. Um, uh, instance you know brian mcdonald is is like the lead players lead player lead player he's just he's a phenomenal uh a phenomenal musician and an incredible uh technician on the horn um and he's of course our primary lead player he he is uh he's just got those kind of efficient chops um but he's also an incredibly nice, humble guy. He, he like we, the two of us, like we're, we're like neither one of us care really if we play lead or not. We just like we're we're just kind of happy to have each other. But there's so many charts written for Brian. Like mm-hmm. you know, I my range goes up to about an A at, at the best. You know, because I'm I've really been more a, attracted to about getting that big sound as I can, and, and I've discovered over the years and talking with a lot of people um, that it. I, the, the sound kind of having, going to the biggest sound kind of leads you towards slightly limited range because mm-hmm. you're just putting so much air into the horn. And so I, I understand about that my playing. I was never really willing to, to risk uh, 
lessening my sound to try to get a few more notes because it just wasn't necessary. And, the, and then the hot second that I got in the band, like the Airman Note, where Brian was just like a monster all the way up to like effortless double C's. I was just like, this is this is amazing. I'm, I'm so glad that I get to, to experience this kind of music with him. Uh, because any of these, all these great charts that are written for him. So, so when it comes to split lead, what that really means is that I'm there to take as much as Brian wants to 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 kind of take it take it easy, or or, or to go towards different stylistic approaches. So I'll at least I'll generally will play 35% of the lead parts, but sometimes I I, I end up playing 75% of the lead parts. It just depends on how the show is uh, works out, but the the charts that we kind of evolve to that kind of play to our strengths um, and that the the music director will pick at any given night. And we're usually pretty good about like getting the first draft from the music director and saying, oh, like this is nice, but you realize that like I'm playing most of the lead. Why don't we dig a couple charts out for for me or Brian to try to just, you know, just try to balance it if at all possible. So that's kind of what split lead is. Like I'm, I'm there as a a lead player, uh, but it, it's <laughs> I love being in the position of split lead because it means I, I've always got Brian to to be like the workhorse, mm-hmm. and just being in Brian's presence and playing with him and playing and, and when I, you know, put up videos of me and him, he makes me sound like I've got more range than I have. You know, he's like because we we just kind of play off each other. But I can tell you one of the unique things about being in this band is that uh, that not a lot of pros get to experience is uh, is the fact that me and Brian have been playing right next to each other for almost 19 years, like almost daily. Yeah. So uh, there's a there's a remarkable evolution that happens with that, and it's very unique to uh, to the permanent assignment military bands in DC. Um, because that relationship is, is is remarkable in terms of us evolving to to really knowing exactly what's going to happen, no matter what we play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our and our sounds really have evolved uh, so much that even the music director doesn't know who's playing lead unless it goes above a certain note, right? So unless yeah. he hears that, oh, that's Brian. That's clearly Brian playing that. But just about any other chart we play, it always surprises me. Uh, the music director will usually like point to the wrong person. Hey, how do you want to phrase this thing? And I'll say, oh no, Brian's playing lead. Or he'll ask Brian and Brian will say, oh no, Kevin's playing lead. Like, and we're right there in front of his face. Right. I, I've always enjoyed that fact because it, it, it's just a testament to that relationship uh, and how we're kind of in each other's heads uh, and in each other's sounds. I've even, uh, you know, we're talking, I'm sure equipment, but I've even evolved my equipment in the band to, to be a better match for Brian. To, to support his sound uh, in the in the section, so that that's I think that's one of the very unique things. If we're getting down to some of the what makes uh, being in a military band uh, kind of uh, different uh, than even being like a top call player in in a major city, is that there's this, there's a relationship that happens daily, right? That uh, that, that just evolves into a certain kind of uh, uh, atmosphere that you I don't think you can recreate recreate anywhere else you know yeah yeah even if you're you're sharing even if you're sharing a lot of gigs with the with the, a lot of the same players in the town it's still not as on that kind of consistent daily 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 thing where you just like 
it's like you just learn to breathe together. It's like you really, it's like your brothers, like you grew up together. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, the, it's, it's the difference between, um, you know, doing the sessions together and what you guys are doing, you know, you're doing rehearsals together, you're doing, you know, the traveling together, you're doing, you know, the gigs together. So after, after 19 years, yeah, there's, there's definitely has to be a level of, um, connection that the average player doesn't get to experience. And, uh, yeah, yeah. If, if, uh, if you've never heard the airmen play, if you've never heard, especially that section with Brian and Kevin, uh, you can listen to all kinds of great cuts. And if I'm not mistaken, they're all available for free at some, in, in some. Yeah, uh, we're, well, we're actually in the process. We're kind of in an in-between state right now. We used to have uh, all of our, uh, our recordings online on our website. And then we, we had to go through an adjustment where uh, the, uh, the legal read on the licensing and all that stuff that we have to go through like a, a top level Air Force kind of legal read to get uh, approval for that kind of stuff. And we, we had a realization that it was with the new, uh, you know, online uh, like social media and then the website accounts and stuff that we, that the, the fine print hadn't really been vetted out. Mm-hmm. So we've got to, we've got to dig into that and get that worked out. We're, we're really, the, ideally we're hoping to get, and we're working on this now, uh, with the legal office is to, to get us to get all of our material on to streaming services, you know, which mm. is the, which is the way to do it. You know. Yeah. Cause we, for years, you know, of course we, we would, we would create CDs, a limited supply. And we would, most of the time, if you, if you had one, you were like at a Midwest or a gin conference where you came by a booth and picked one up. Uh, and then we started putting a lot of that online. Uh, but right now there's not a whole lot of access, um, uh, to, to our stuff until we kind of work out those legal mm-hmm. reads on it. But okay, uh, well, that is the goal. Uh, well, are you guys, uh, are you guys working at all during COVID or uh, have, have your public performances been completely shut down? We are working, but we're not in front of live audiences. For the past year, we've put out uh, all, uh, you know, video products. Mm-hmm. And we've done some very unique things uh, it's required us to kind of think outside of the box. Um, so one of my favorite things that we did uh, over the last year is that we uh, we coordinated with uh, seven other military big bands from around the world. And we put a big band together made of two or three members of each band from like you know, Brazil, from Australia, from Finland, from England, uh, from Japan. And uh, we recorded this this old classic tune, uh, I'll Be Seeing You, and, which is also a vocal piece. And we had vocalists from each of the nations uh, singing it. And, it, it, you know, back in the World War II, it had some special meaning because that was like the tune that became like an anthem for when the, this, the, on both sides, the people that were serving in the war and the, and the loved ones back home, they wanted to, you know, they, they gra- gravitated towards the song because it was all about I'll be seeing you as soon as this is over. I'll be seeing you in all the old familiar places. And it kind of worked uh, actually very well for a COVID environment. We were suddenly all separated all around the world, and we're just waiting to get back to see you in the same old places. So that, that was a really amazing project. Uh, it took a lot of coordination to, to work with enemy bands around the world. Uh, and then 
you know, so we've had that kind of uh, project. We we did a actually a, a service song medley with all the other service bands from DC. Uh, we we've done a lot of a lot of unique outreach things. Uh, mm-hmm. We're about to uh, record. We're about to put out uh, another piece with the uh, the Australian big band saxophone section and our saxophone section. Um, so we that's been some really fun outreach that we've done. So it's, you know, we've had to, to think outside the box, uh, but we've, we've kept uh, playing in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it, we've gotten millions of, uh, views online as a result of it. It's, you know, it's a pretty strong impact when you, when you're forced to kind of think of something different and, uh, instead of just the same old, uh, same old thing. But we can't wait to get back out on the road. Can't be, get, wait, wait to perform for local kind of audiences here. We've got some great series in DC. Uh, and just getting back the band, the band back together in like close proximity. You know, we're yeah. all vaccinated. Everybody's feeling good about each other. We can get back, we can join in and, and, and play together. That's going to be an exciting time. You'll, it's, you know, it's starting to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're, we're watching that very closely. Uh, so I, I feel like we're, we're not too far off from that. And uh, so that's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I have the distinct feeling that um, as restrictions lift, that we are going to see a resurgence in uh, creativity, particularly in the music scene. We're going to see a resurgence of, of creativity that, that we have we, we haven't seen in recent history, you know, because there's so many people that. You know, they're, they've just been so cooped up, and the energy's been building up, and 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 I think that once once the dam breaks, that there's going to be this explosion of tremendous music and excitement. So uh, I'm I'm ready for that to happen. Yeah, so, okay, me too. Yeah. Um. So you know, when we're talking about the split lead thing again, um, I've had this conversation with with a few different people. Uh, you know, uh, people that that are are amazing, you know, outstanding uh, lead players in their own right. People like uh, Dan Fenero, uh, people like uh, Gary Grant, um, that are in situations where they're not always the top gun. So, uh, like Dan, uh, Dan supports Wayne Bergeron. Uh, Gary supported uh, uh, Jerry Hay and Chuck Finley for a number of years. Um, and in talking to to the to all of them, it's always been. Yeah, you know, certainly I get called to do lead stuff, but, you know, I actually feel kind of comfortable being in this position of uh, where I'm a little, you know, I, I have that that responsibility to step forward when it's time for me to step forward, but I also have no problem stepping back back when I have to step back. And I think sometimes the, the lead trumpet mentality can be, I'm the lead player, I'm always the lead player, uh, you know, and, and it's sometimes hard to step out of that role and to do that in a situation where it's, you know, it could be song to song where you're, you could be bouncing back and forth between, uh, you know, leading, being the lead player and being, being the second player. Um, do you, do you find that to be a difficult thing uh, or did you find it to be a difficult thing? And, and, and how did you uh, keep yourself in check to be able to do that and to, and to be able to do that efficiently and effectively to be able to, to switch your roles? Uh, that's a great question uh, because it's something that I've uh, uh, observed. Th- th- this I think this relates to it. This is something that I've observed my entire career, uh, and that is the the higher quality musicians that I've 
personally worked with at every stage and you know you, you and that's that's been really the story of my life it's just like having just really great opportunities to go this next step until i you know until i until i got to a place that, I, that i'm just really uh, like excited about and never never get used to like i'm in but if there if i had a, a major observance it's that the higher quality musicians musicians that i've had to the opportunity to work with the less ego exists uh there's there's something about a uh uh, a like top shelf, top shelf musician, in my experience, uh, I'm sure not. I'm sure not every person would have the same story. But in my in my experience, like, that's like when people are trying to get there. That's when the most ego comes out. Like, no, I got, I got to be the guy. I got to do this. I have to do this. And, you know, I have, to, I have to try to own my space. The the people that reach kind of the the top shelf, they're like there's like a quiet confidence like they they it's 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 everybody knows their role like for example in a big band it's it's a it's a very uh you know it's it's a tip of the spear you know that lead trumpet especially in, in the complete ensemble uh writing lead trumpet obviously is tip of the spear that's that's the lead line and so but, but there's there's a whole group of musicians that are world class that certainly owned the college that they were at, probably owned the town that they were in, owned most every place they like they were the guide. Everybody listened to them. In this in this in this situation with the note, everybody just kind of lays that down. And it's one of the reasons why the note is so is so tight and is so good is because they play the role. The the lead trumpet player when he's when it's an it's a full ensemble, he's listening really hard to Brian. The lead off forward listening really hard to Brian. The second players are listening in. Everybody's just just doing this pyramid to where it's supposed to be. I have literally been in bands uh, on on lesser levels where I was a lead player and I would I would turn to the third player and I would say, uh, "Can you can you please cut off here or this?" And, and I would just get a note because I feel like this is where it needs to be. Like I that's that's a very odd thing uh, for to experience that just kind of egos that won't let go of their space and what they think needs to happen. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think it relates to your question because is, you know, at a top shelf level, when everybody just assumes the roles, lets the ego go and just, and just rolls with the, with what was supposed to happen. Then you move very quickly through, through the music. The band sounds incredible, uh, because everybody's listening so tightly and intently. Uh, and maybe it's a personality thing, but I I I have never had a problem with that. I, me and Brian, we almost sometimes we're almost like, no, you play, no, you play, no, you play. Like, yeah. And I've known some bands where like the lead player just wouldn't pass anything, or if there was another guy who could play lead and the chart was passed out, you know, he was like the eyeball and like like kind of vibe, like can I can I play or whatever. Like that that just has never happened uh, between me and Brian. I think just because we're just both very easygoing personalities, and so that's been nice. When I was at the Academy Band and I and I got to know Chris uh, Walters, he um, at his retirement ceremony after being lead trumpet player for uh, an incredibly renowned uh, ensemble, the, the Falconeers, for like 25 years, he said something that I, I don't know why, but I will never forget it. He, this is one of the best lead players I've ever heard, and he he said, "I've always thought of myself as a second lead trumpet player, as a second player." 
I just enjoy, you know, being in the support role whenever I can. And that, that just like blew my mind. I was like, this is, this is really uh, an example of just like humility uh, and workability in, in somebody who's got clearly the, the ability to do whatever he wants and always be there. Either. But so I've been lucky in that respect. Uh, I have I, heard, you know, stories that's occasionally in other bands where you, you hear the, the egos come out. But I, I've, I've been super lucky to, to, to be in a situation where, um, you know, if, with the airmen that, that, that it just is not, doesn't happen. And so it's, it's, it's a real blessing. Uh, it's what it's what has made the job so much fun in in part you know yeah yeah i remember uh vaughn telling me about uh things like that and saying yeah you know we kind of had this this attitude of let's put the best guy on the job and you know he would say even if it's like okay well you know this the song is going to end on a on a, a double a but whoever's playing lead, you know, that wasn't maybe his best note. He's maybe a little squirrely, but the, but the third player had a really solid A. He's like, oh, okay, well, let's, you know, you play that note because you're going to make the band sound better than, you know, me trying to do it and maybe half-assing it. So, um, and I think it's, so, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I love sports. You know, I, I, I definitely love sports. And I get so infuriated watching professional sports uh not necessarily the games but uh, the the world of sports where people will leave a, a tremendously talented team so that they can be the man on an also ran team you know it's like i me my personalities i would much rather be uh you know the the 10th guy on the bench on a basketball team that's going to be, you know, a, a dynasty than to be the number one guy on a team that's going to end up being last in the league. Yeah. You know, you don't want to pad your stats. You know, I, I want to be part of, I want to be part of the best and I want to play the role because everybody has a role to play. So, um, I think sometimes that, that, uh, especially in the trumpet world and especially those, those players who, uh, consider themselves to be lead players, whether they truly are or not, that it's sometimes easy to, to develop that, that macho, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take charge and it, it's hard to let go of that at times. So, you know, it, I think it's, it's really a great skill to have for obviously on the bandstand, but, but just also in life to know that there are times when you need to step up and there's times when you need to step back. So, uh, but you I know, think I've always wondered if, uh, you know, if, because that is definitely true with the with the lead the trumpet. There's a, there's a reason why there's uh, uh, stereotypes for us, um, and I've always wondered you know, which came first, the uh, the ego or the instrument. Does the does the instrument lead towards the ego, or does the ego naturally gravitate towards the instrument? I don't know. It's it's uh, interesting, but it it, it is uh, it is. I think it is very true uh, that you know the. It, those and I, I found this out in, in, in talking to most every uh, top pro in every city. The one, one of the unique things about our job is that we tour all over the country, and eventually, I've, I've, over the years, I've gotten to meet just about every, you know, three or four guys that are the top players in every town. Right. And um, in the big cities, you know, Chicago, New York, L.A., in the in, in you know in the in where there's a lot of music, and down in like Orlando and Disney and and Miami and stuff. Um, I've also discovered that there are some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. You know, 
because that's part of the that's part of the world to being success, successful at that level. Yeah. Is being some, somebody that other people want to work with. Yeah. You know, and uh, if you go in with uh, just all cocky and like think you're just going to overtake a town, you'll get shoved to the side of the, the road really quickly because nobody wants to work. Uh, I've had some really fascinating conversations with people like Malcolm and Dab and, and Wayne Bergeron and, and uh, the top guys about that environment. Yeah. And how some of these people have moved in and out of the scene. Uh, and and not lasted just by the sheer you know annoying personality that they had and that and I've there's a there's a definite correlation between just the not only having the skill but just being very nice and workable and kind you know yeah. and and, then, and a nice hang like what we're doing here you know yeah. just hanging is about is the musician pastime you know when you're yeah. not playing it's it's fun to hang with your friends that are that you just played with yeah. You know, that, it's a great name for your for your show because that's what musicians do. Yeah, well, that's that's the whole idea. You know, I've been fortunate enough to be able to hang with a lot of great players, um, and most of it's because um, I have a different approach, I guess, to life than, than a lot of people. Um, I respect people for their skills and their abilities. Um, but I also, uh, I have enough confidence in myself. I mean, I, there's no way I can get on the bandstand with you and Brian, but I have skills and abilities in other areas of my life that, you know, I, I, I feel like there, there are very few people that can hang with me in that. But, you know, that's, that's life. We all have our strengths and we all have our weaknesses. And because of that, um, I, I tend to p- treat people like people. So the, the starstruck portion kind of gets washed away except for jerry hey jerry intimidated me because I've, you know i i've been you know i've idolized jerry since you know i was i was a teenager uh but you know once i got past that that initial thing of like oh my god it's jerry hey then it's like okay well he's just a dude you know he's a he's a dude that that is a great arranger you know one of the best horn arrangers in to, to come along period a phenomenal trumpet player but he's just a guy and, you know, we can talk. So that's been a big part. And for me, just, and also I'm just stupid and I'll just go up to people and start talking to them. You know, I, I don't care. Um, so it's the hang and it's, it's those times when you're, you're sitting there after a gig and, you know, you're, you go to the restaurant, you go to the bar or whatever, and everybody's just sitting there and you're, you're, you're talking trumpet, you're talking sports, you're talking, politics, you're talking whatever, but you're just connecting with people because you already have established that base of a mutual love for trumpet. So that, that bit that tears down some of the barriers, but not everybody gets that opportunity. And that's part of what I'm trying to do with this podcast is to give people that opportunity to, to, to see what a hang is like. And, uh, but also try to educate because that's a big part of things too, because, uh, for me, that's been the big part of the hang is listening to people and starting to understand their motivations. And when I'm, I'm a firm believer that it's less important of how you do things, like your, your technical approach, your exercises, whatever, I think it's more important to understand the wise people do things, the, their, their mindset. That's what drives the bus. So when you're hanging with people and you're talking casually, that's when you really start to find out who a person is. And, and that's, that's really the cool stuff. 
So, um, you know, that's why I really love having you on this, you know, because you've, uh, you know, the few times that we have had, you know, these, these kind of casual hangs, you know, you're just, you're a guy, you know, Brian is a guy, you know, so it's just always nice to do that. But, um, I wanted to ask you a, a question about, um, the, the audition process for, uh, for military bands, you know, because like I said, a lot of people have a lot of my friends I've talked to, you know, it's like, Oh, I really love to get into a military band. And you know, how, how do you crack in? And you know, what are the things that people are looking for? Um, so for, as for someone who's been in the band for as long as you have and, and been involved in some of the processes, um, you know, if someone is thinking about pursuing a career in a military band, what would be some of the, the key pieces of advice that you would give them in terms of preparation? Great question. Uh, I mean, not only do, not only have I been on uh, the panels uh, and audition committees for many auditions, like I said, I've auditioned three times uh, myself for Air Force bands. Uh, and I've experienced every type of, for a trumpet player, every type of audition that there is. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because the, the audition for the DC band uh, is going to be different than the audition for uh, a regional band. Some, there's there's a number of bands around the country. Like I said, I started at the one in San Antonio. Um, the band, the Academy band is, is, is converting back to a uh, permanent uh, elevated rank position. Uh, what they call a premier band. Um, and um, so the difference in DC is that every single, there are 184 peop people, roughly 180-ish people in, in the DC Air Force band. And every single chair in the band is, uh, is a very specialized chair. And when you audition for that chair in the DC band, you're the bulk of your audition is for, if not the entire audition, is for what, what that exact specialty is. So, for example, when I auditioned, it was for the split lead chair for the airman. So my job was to play lead parts. I came in and they just they just grilled me for an hour on lead trumpet parts and, and segments uh, and just to see what I could do. Uh, see how I could play the chart, see how long my chops lasted. I mean, it was just a grueling audition. But that was going to be my job, playing lead trumpet parts for the airmen. They didn't put, they didn't put, uh, you know, a symphonic piece in front of me. They didn't make me play a bunch of jazz changes. They didn't, uh, you know, make me play a Susan March or, or anything like that. My my job was very specific. It would be the same uh, for a, you know, trumpet spot in a concert band. It would be very symphonic. They wouldn't be throwing a bunch of jazz charts, or they might play some. Throw some pop music because uh, some of their concert, uh, most of their concerts have a little bit of you know uh, commercial side uh, music, but uh, it, it's very specific. Now the difference between the DC band and like a regional band uh, is that the regional bands, because they're much smaller, that you're going to be doing a lot uh, more variety of music. So your the audition for a regional band is going to be a lot broader. You now there'll be some specific. They're, they might be saying, "Well, what? What? This is a trumpet spot, but it really is going to be what we really need is a like a strong principal player for the concert band. And when he's not playing a concert band, he's going to be playing in a brass quintet. So, it, like, we really need a good classical guy. 
they also might be saying, we, we have an audition, but we really need kind of a, a lead player or a jazz player. So, and when he's not, he'll be playing in the concert band, but when he's not playing in the concert band, he'll be playing in the jazz or a jazz combo or something like this. Uh, and then everybody will be, be doing ceremonial music. Um, so they're gonna, you're gonna get like kind of an even taste of everything. You're gonna, they're gonna be in the regional bands, they're gonna be throwing some marches in front of you. They're gonna be throwing some like traditional uh, classical trumpet repertoire, symphonic music, maybe uh, uh, an A2 uh, from either, you know, could be uh, Arvin or any any of the classics. And then, and then depending on how it veers from there, you may either go more symphonic or you might go towards the jazz for the commercial side. But like I said, in the, in the DC band, it, it's gonna be a very specific uh, chair that you're performing in. Because you can sit in that chair anywhere from 20 to 30 years. Like there have been people that have sat in the same seat for 30 years. Mm-hmm. A lot of people easily 20 years, because you know 20 is the, has been the traditional cutoff point for when you can retire if you want. So that's the difference. It's it's a very it's a very specific. Of course, at DC, it's an incredibly high level. It's very competitive uh, for that one specific chair, that one specific zone of what your specialty is. Um, when I so so my auditions were very different. My my first audition for the Air Force was a very general. They knew they of course they put me in the big band. They wanted to hear my lead chops, but then they pulled me out and they wanted to hear some A2s and classical stuff. Uh, and they wanted to make sure that I could do that. They wanted to make sure I could play some nice, uh, soft stuff that I had, you know, that I that was just had good trumpet mechanics, that I was just a good technical player. I could do a little this and that. Um, and it was kind of a similar thing when I went won the audition for the Falconers. Uh, it was a really great jazz band, but I was still going to be playing in the concert. And, uh, and then I was going to be doing a lot of parades out at the academy and stuff like that. So that I did the whole thing. So my airmen notes suddenly when I auditioned for them, that was a completely different style. It was, it was very, uh, a very narrow. It was just one hour of blasting good music. So uh, it depends on what, where you're headed, and where you're headed really depends on where are the openings, you know. Um, and if if my my ultimate advice to anybody, because I went this route, not unknowingly went this route. Because I didn't, I didn't come in thinking oh, I want to end up in DC. I just come in thinking I want to play trumpet. You know, right. I just wanted to play trumpet. And there's some great musicians here, and this sounds fun. So I'll, I'll do it. If I like it, I'll stay. If not, I'll move on to something else uh, with my backup plan. But um, my my advice to anybody that is interested in the military bands is don't don't get too focused on one spot. Like, no, I have to be in this spot because you could be waiting for many years for that spot to open. So look at look around, look at the whole canvas of, of like the Air Force bands and all the openings, and then, you know, jump on something that's open. And then you, and then you keep looking around until something pops up. The one thing that I did miss by not being in the regional bands, which I, I would have loved to experience, is getting overseas. There's a couple of bands overseas. There's a band in Germany and there's a band in Japan. And people that go over there, they absolutely love it. I watch uh, the tours that they do now, you know, through Facebook, and just like they just get to see all of Europe or all of the Southeast Asia, and just have an incredible experience uh, internationally. 
that's something I won't uh, get to have uh, experienced because I, I was, uh, it, it, I'm in a permanent assignment. I can't go anywhere. There's a lot of benefits to that, but there's one, that's the one thing that I would have always missed. But that's a, that is a benefit of the regional bands. You can, you can volunteer for those kind of assignments and generally uh, have end up with some really amazing experiences internationally. So I, I would recommend it to, to anybody to just, to just jump on any opening that you see, you know, if, you want, if you're interested in getting to, uh, to the military. And of course the other services are great as well. They all have their own flavor uh, and personalities. Uh, but, uh, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. That sounds great. Uh, yeah, I was, I was surprised when I, I ran across this little tidbit, um, that, uh, you were responsible for building the, uh, social media, uh, platform or, uh, uh, look for the, the, uh, Air Force bands. So, um, how about that? Tell us a little bit about that adventure. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up because I tell you, in when I'm in 20, 30 years, when I'm just like barely creaking around, and I'm, I'm and I talk to somebody that's in the band, I'm before I even tell them I'm a trumpet player, I'm gonna probably say, yeah, I was the guy that turned on all your social media, you know, like I was that <laughs> guy, um, for better or worse. I I literally did. I was. Uh, it's it's part of my uh, it's part of my story. Uh, that, that I think is unique. You know, they're, the, the Airman Note is, we just passed our 70th uh, birthday. And, and there's, every air has uh, just a unique flavor to it uh, with the different leaders through the decades and what, what made them strong and what gave them reputation. Some of the all-stars that were in every era uh, that you can go through the years. If there's one thing that I can say that nobody else did is like, is took the Airman and Note into the 21st century and the United States Air Force Band as a whole, for that matter, with social media. Yeah. So uh, that's probably why, I mean, that is absolutely why if anybody like knows, uh, you know, my name, Brian, some of the characters in our, in our band right now, obviously in this day and age, it's because of social media. It's because of the, because I, you know, I, I turned on our page in late 2008 um, when I first became aware of this of Facebook and kind of like what this is. And I was I was like, I did it on my own. I did it like I was I didn't ask anybody. I just I didn't ask if it was OK. I just did it. I just created a page uh, because I knew it would be a really good match uh, for exposure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ultimately, you know, you know, saying that it, it amplifies our mission, it amplifies what we do. And what we do is uh, intended to just reach as many people as possible. Um, because we are a public affairs organization. It's, that is the primary mission uh, for, the, for the Air Force and any military band. It's not, we're not arts organizations per se. We're not, we don't exist just to make great art. We exist 
to connect with the American people uh, on behalf of the United States Air Force. And we do that through the tool of music. And, and so it's, we, we're not like a, a symphony that would be happy to get the same 2,500 people every time just in a subscription service and just keep coming back. You know, we, we, we try, we're trying to get a very broad audience. You know, we, we'd be happy if, if we had a different audience every time, you know, because it is our intention to reach the American people on behalf of the United States Air Force. Um, and so that we've always done that very effectively and social media, I, I immediately identified that like this is kind of magical for uh, an organization that has so much great content, like every day, just great content. And so this, this allowed us to share things beyond the stage, you know, because I, I just in a personal experience, I knew that just walking around the building on any given day, I could open up a door to the Air Force Street. So I could open up a door to the concert band and just hear this glorious music coming out. And they were just rehearsing. I'm like, like everybody should be experiencing this. Right. This is amazing. Like, but nobody's going to hear this until they get on stage. And somehow I, I connected the dots that social media could let me like just throw a camera in here for a few seconds and just share this little moment. Right. Um, and so I turned on all the pages when the only followers were me. It's, it's kind of funny to think about because now in total, there's over uh, 250,000 followers and between all the pages and some of our products, like last summer, we, the singers put out a product uh, that had 55 million, million views. I mean, wow. there, there's some products that get out there that we put out there that, that are in the tens of millions of views that, that are just like, that's, a, that's amazing. And so, and I'm the one that is, that is given so I manage all of that with, it's, it's part of, uh, I manage the whole uh, marketing and outreach uh, office in addition to playing with a note. So I'm in charge of getting advertising for people to come to our live concerts. I'm, like, I'm in charge of maintaining our website. I'm in charge of all of our social media. I'm in charge of uh, our, our broadcast media outreach. Um, getting, I, as I like to say, getting butts in seats and then every, and then the, you know, butts and reach the, the people that aren't going to come to the concert. Let me give them some great content to digest online. Uh, and that's been an evolution over the last uh, 11, 12 years now since I started. So I I'm proud of that piece of it because it, 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 it lets me uh, take advantage of all of my other side passions right. that I've discovered uh, other than just playing. I, 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 I have, kind of nerded out on like photography, photo editing, graphic design, writing and all this stuff that put it together and makes for uh, you know nice social, the ability to create social media content. Right. And uh, so that, that's been a really nice piece of my career that uh, uh, I, I think I would be happy if uh, I continued to do that in some manner after I retire, you know, I think I've got the, the experience um, and the kind of sensibility for it, that it would be, uh, I would enjoy it if, if I just ended up doing that kind of on a corporate level. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I think the trumpet gurus hang uh, actually need someone in our marketing department. So uh, we may have to talk about that uh, at some point as I reach for global dominance. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's interesting, you know, the, the uh, I've, I've seen some of your photography. It's really cool stuff. I really like what you're doing. 
and like you said, yeah, everything is kind of coming together. It's coalescing your your different passions. And um, I, I think that sometimes it's easy to get so trapped into a singular way of expressing um, our artistic nature. Um, and, you know, we're multifaceted beings and, you know, that I think it, it behooves us to, to find new and different ways to express the, the core of who we are as a, as a creative individual. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to do it for a living, but, you know, uh, you know, to be a musician and, uh, to, and then also to do something with, with graphic design or to do something with writing or to do something else that, uh, that helps you to understand, uh, different ways of approaching your music. Uh, I think mean, for me, uh, my, my martial arts training was a big part of my music, uh, because as I began to understand how my body moved, my body moves can move through space and intention and, uh, dynamic movement, then that suddenly became part of how I approached my playing. And, and I actually made, I feel like I made more progress as a player as I made more progress as a martial artist, because it, it kind of helped me to express myself in a different way. Um, so, you know, I, I certainly, I, I admire anybody can do photography. I love looking at good photography. I'm, I'm a hack photographer. Uh, so, uh, but using your eye, uh, do you see like, you know, how using your eye for composition, do you rely on any kind of parallels in terms of using your ear for composition in terms of like writing or playing, uh, what you're looking for in terms of, of shape, dynamics, flow, uh, or is it just a completely different process for you? Uh, that's an interesting question. I don't know if anyone's asking me quite that man manner. Uh, what I've always thought about uh, visual acuity and kind of the visual talent uh, is that it is very, uh, it's like anything. It's like a musical talent. It's like uh, drawing. It's like whatever, if you're good with math, whatever you're, if you have a gift, I think it's, I think it's kind of just a, a gift that you can explore uh, because I have known, I don't necessarily, I, I can certainly go down the road of kind of relating what it would, the, the comparison between, you know, good, good composition uh, and good phrasing and music. However, I have known, uh, I've known a lot of musicians that couldn't take a good picture to save their life, you know, uh, so it's not necessarily just because you're a musician, you have the creative edge to do photography or or art or something like that. You, you might have some other skill that I have that I that's completely off of my grid. Um, but I I can tell instantly if someone has just a basic uh, nature for uh, composition and framing visually by looking at their Facebook page, um, even just taking just take just the way they take a cell phone picture i'm like oh this person gets it this if, if i were if i were to if i were needing a photographer i, I would i'd be fine asking because that they just have this sense of like just framing i, I always give the example i've actually had some remarkable uh experiences with the air force actually just as a photographer i've been sitting out on so many jobs as a photographer i, I got to go one time with our rock band uh to a playoff NFL game. It was with the uh, New York Giants and the NFL and the uh, New England Patriots uh, at Met Stadium, MetLife Stadium. It was a playoff game. It was packed out. There were over 80,000 people there. 
and our rock band played the entire half shift. And I got to be the photographer out on the field in the 50 yard line uh, in the middle of this giant crowd and just, just going crazy with the photos and stuff. And they still use those photos to this day. Uh, but I, I didn't have, I didn't have my trouble with me. That I mean, that was how far photography took me to be able to have a, an amazing experience like that. And I got to, I got to spend the rest of the game on that, on the sidelines, you know, like 15 feet from, uh, uh, from the all-star players when, the, when, when they were on the sideline, this kind of thing. It was extraordinary. Um, but I say that because I've, I've actually given photography uh, kind of classes to other Air Force social media people. Um, and one of my examples that I always start with is like, if you go to Disneyland, just notice how many people, at like the hot second they walk in the door or walk through the gate, that there's this feeling that they get. There's a feeling that they have and they just want to capture that feeling. And it's because it's a very, it's a very warm, like special, like, oh, this is such a great experience. My family is here together at Disney. And, and so they're like, gather up, gather up, and let's take a picture, let's take a picture of this moment. And I'm watching like the person that's taking a picture, he's, I can tell what he's going to get. He's going to get a picture of his wife and kids and the Disneyland trash can. Yeah. Right. And the castle is right here. <laughs> just like, just go this way, you know, and just get some perspective of where you are. But, uh, but he just, but he has the feeling that he wants to capture. Um, but he, he doesn't, doesn't know how to, to, to connect the dots between, okay, now what, is, how do I grab the real picture of what this place is? And so that's, I can, I, I've always had that ability, you know, I used cheap cameras for a long time. And then I, and then I finally, uh, a number of years ago, bought the kind of entry level stuff um, on my own. And that's when I started just going to band concerts and the, uh, the, the PA director at the time, he was like, you're giving me better, you know, photographs than the, uh, than the Air Force PA office. And I was, he's, he's like, I want you to, come over to my office and I'm going to buy you some professional camera gear. Uh, and so that was, that was, that's when it just completely took off. Cause I was just, I just, you know, when you're passionate about something that, that makes it easy to really dig into and to yeah. just learn, 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 learn. It's kind of the way we all did with our instruments when we first picked it up. Uh, so I just nerded out on the, the professional level of gear and learned the ins and outs of it and how to control all the, the parameters. Um, so that's, that's kind of how my photography side evolved. And, oh. uh, I've been a, uh, passionate about it ever since. Oh, that's, that's very cool. That's very cool. Well, speaking of gear, we're going to, uh, switch gears and go to our gear up, man, see how that's all flowing together. Uh, our gear up section. So that's, uh, our, uh, section where we actually talk trumpet gear, because, you know, we're all gearheads and, uh, you know, I get way too many uh, negative, uh, too much negative feedback when I don't talk gear. So we have to do it. So, Kevin, how about sharing with us what you are currently playing? And then we're going to talk about uh, some of the specifics of why you choose that that gear. Uh, yeah, I well, it's interesting over over the COVID period. Uh, and I'm not surprised that I did this because during COVID, I haven't been playing with anybody. I've just been playing to myself. 
except for these little video projects where we're kind of recorded, you know, separately are very distanced and we haven't had as many uh, in, you know, rehearsals and stuff in close proximity. And I've missed that. I've missed that feeling. But when I, when I've just, when I've had a year of just playing to myself, I, I, I've kind of reverted back to some old equipment and I know, I know I'll change it back when I get back in the band, but uh, I, I appreciate what you said in the beginning about my sound, because that's really what drives my playing purely is, is my sound. Um, and so when I'm playing by myself, I, I, I just want to get as a, just as beautiful sound as I can, just a beautiful, warm sound. Cause I, I think um, that's, that's the most important thing to me. Uh, always has been, uh, and I know it's. I don't know. No, I'm not unique to that. But that. But I've always been sound driven, not like note driven or, or technique driven. It's just sound driven. Um, and so, uh, I, I have a horn that that is really flexible on the sound side, and it's not. Uh, it's not terribly unique. It's been around for a long time. It, it's an old. Yamaha 6310Z, Bobby Shoe model. Uh, I had it since I first got my Air Force. Uh, and Paul Stevens, who was, who Paul was way more of a gearhead than me. He would switch equipment all the time. But I was, uh, I would generally like to find something that I liked and I would just hang on to it forever. But there was a, there was a, there was a moment where we both got um, the 6310Zs together. And we actually had uh, Bobby Shue tweak it. You know, he actually played him, kind of did his thing. I don't, I don't know what he does, but he makes in terms of kind of a, a product, a, a simile line model, and just makes it the way it should be exactly. He does his thing. And, you know, it might be a little tweak here, a little opening here, do whatever. He, and he plays it the way it, he, it was meant for him, which means it's spot on. And, uh, and I, I have loved it because it, it has it has the kind of qualities that you would think makes a good horn for Bobby Shue because he's one of the most versatile players in the universe. He yeah. he's he's this brilliant jazz player that can get this really nice warm sound, or he's this just shredding lead player that just like can just rip the house down with these just where do these notes come from. How did you play this beautiful? low melody and then just tear the roof off at the end of this chart with this with these crazy lead lead lines and so i it took me a little bit just to get used to it because i was always just a just a blow and go kind of player when i was in my in my youth and uh but i, I realized that the, that that his style of horn is a good match for me because i love being able to have a horn it, it has that kind of wide personality where you can you can back down on it and it plays really warm and kind of uh, just kind of super pleasant, gorgeous. Or you can lean on it and get and, and make it zip when you need to, to play some lead stuff. And so most of my playing in the in in the COVID period on myself is just playing and just just playing beautiful melodies, just playing lines, just 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 getting to the the, the rudimentary love of the instrument. Um and uh so I've been playing that a lot this year. I, I will tell you that I'll probably, when I get back into the band, I'll go back to what uh, I've been playing for for a number of years since I got an Ilman Note. 
I start most of my career, I probably played that 6310 Zulu, and I did when I first got in the mix. And then I switched uh, because, like, the, and this is part of that relationship thing with Brian. Like, not only playing, rehearsing, but we're going on tour together. We're hanging out, we're having dinner, we're having lunch, we're having drinks. We're just like, just become, we're just friends and we talk trumpet and we talk about what this or that, this or that. And so you kind of get really deep into to a, a player's head like that in terms of his whole approach to the instrument. And I started listening to how, the reason why he played what he played. Uh, and he plays a, a, an old con uh, 36. Uh, and it, the, and so I would, I started keeping my eye ear out for my eye out for just that old con, just to see what it would feel like. And I discovered that I wasn't uh, very in tune with the, like the 36 or the 38, but I, one day I got a hold of a, an 8B. If you hold it up side by side, it looks the same shape and design as uh, a 36. But the 36 is nickel plated and the, the 8B is either lacquered or silver plated. And there may be some other changes, but they, but you know, they look like they'd have the old, like kind of wide wrap. They look almost like the same horn, the same bell size. It's kind of small. Um, but it had that old con sound. There's, there's something about that old con sound. Uh, I don't know if it's the metal they used back then, uh, the design factor, whatever, but there's, in a big band, it particularly works well. Uh, if I were a studio player, I probably wouldn't probably wouldn't be my horn because it's too specific. It's like this one core, like it just it's just like hits you in the chest. It's like this this core to it, and that's what Brian sounds like. He, he's so efficient. He doesn't doesn't even look like he's working. Yeah. If you, if you get in front of him, it just like it just it just you just feel this punch. Um, and when I found that eight B, I was like suddenly I felt like we were just like dialed in together, just like, boom. Okay. That's like, I have to, I have to get this one. It just sounds too good with Brian. Uh, and, and that, so, and I was like, even, even at the expense of this may or may not be what I would play just by myself, but it sounds so good in the band, uh, that I'm going to get this one. And so, and that was really when, <laughs> that was really when, the music directors just couldn't tell who was playing who, and, and, and it was a really good and mature choice on my part to just to say what what is going to sound best in the band to support this amazing lead player. And so, uh, I've I've really gotten used to it. And I love it. It just ha it just has a, a great sound. So that's been my horn. I've had a couple versions of it. Uh, I I played a lacquer one for a while, and then I found a uh, actually the. <laughs> I don't want to throw Brian under the bus, but he accidentally damaged my first lacquer AP. We were just talking in rehearsal, and he flipped around and, and knocked my horn into the to the trombone section, and it came up with a lead pipe look like that. And uh, and so he he was like, "Oh man, I'm so sorry," and he paid to get it fixed. But it just never played the same after that. But I kept looking out for uh, another AP, and I found one, but it was silver plate, but it felt basically the same. Mm -hmm. So it was that nice sound. So that's my horn. It's an 8B. It's an old con. Uh, and that's the reason why I play it. You know, sometimes you just, in this setting where you just get this opportunity to play in the same group every day, uh, you just you just get to the point where you're, you, you dial it in so finely. And getting that horn was like that next step 
of just making the perfect match uh, for Brian's lead approach. And so my mouthpiece, um, I played for, from the, when I first picked up my horn, my first horn, it was a birthday gift in sixth grade. Uh, my uncle was a trombone player. He picked out a mouthpiece for me, uh, and it was a Bach 3C. Um, and so that's the horn, that's the mouthpiece that I learned on. And that's the mouthpiece that I played until I was uh, a junior in college. So I had a long time playing solely on that mouthpiece. And I was a lead player on that mouthpiece. Uh, but then I became, then I started getting work and having experiences and next level stuff uh, to where I just was, and then just meeting more, more kind of, you know, musicians and lead players and just I was like I'm gonna do a little bit of exploring and so I started trying to find mouthpieces that were uh, made it a little more comfortable but I always held to that that three rim because mm -hmm. that was just I was too locked in I couldn't change I tried going smaller just to see if I could do it and I, I couldn't do it I couldn't figure out how to do it because I was just so locked into that three rim size but but I but I basically right now I play uh it's basically a Dork LTV6, which uh, either that or it's a, I have a copy, a custom copy <coughs> by a friend of mine, uh, Kevin Delaney, who, who's tried a uh, mouthpiece company for a little while. Uh, then he decided to, to not worry about it. He's an incredibly successful businessman uh, up in Boston and a fantastic trumpet player. So it was fun to kind of explore uh, custom mouthpieces, but I, that I had a custom mouthpiece through him that I played for, that I still have. Um, that's basically a copy of that Stork LTV6 with minor adjustments. Uh, but I've even played a lot on that LTV6 now. And basically, it's because it's a three rim. It, it feels almost the same, but it's shallower. Uh, and I, I don't know if it's just the way I play or if I have like uh, fleshy lips or whatever, but I, I liked an immediate like drop into the mouthpiece not not like an immediate curve like this but one that drops immediately so that my lips would have room to buzz and then i, I could articulate well on it so it drops immediately and then it gets shallow so it's much it's shallower than the 3c but it makes me feel like i can get at least a reasonable sound um again i i had if i if i had my ideal sound i would probably even go deeper it would sacrifice the comfort of the upper range but uh, i just like having a big sound um and i think if there's any if there's anything that uh that i that i it always makes me feel good when somebody compliments my sound because that, that, that's the most important thing to me. and i and i've and i've gotten more compliments on my sound than anything else and, and you know when somebody like uh, Wayne Bergeron comes up to you after a concert and says, Kevin, man, you have such a big effing sound. I'm like, that, that makes you feel so good. Like that's, I'm like, I, I will never forget that. I think Wayne, he's, he's a friend. Uh, but that confirms that that, because that's, that's the most important thing to me is, is just a, a beautiful sound. And I think I turned on, I turned on to that idea early when I was a young trumpet player because my grandfather, my grandfather told me he, he wasn't a musician. He had a, he had like a dead ear, you know, like he yeah. was one of those guys loved to sing, but he just had a dead ear and he, and, and he loved to, to, to listen to music. 
but his main compliment to me, he, he after I played a concert, I played a feature, he was just like, you really have a beautiful sound. And I was a young player and I was like, oh, that makes me feel so proud to please my grandfather, who's not a musician, doesn't know a whole lot about the, but but he felt good because of my sound. And that, mm -hmm. that just made me like, okay, that's my thing. I'm gonna go, that's that's my thing. That, if that makes people happy, who only know what, what music makes them feel like. Right. He wasn't saying, oh, you played so many brilliant notes, or you played so high, or you did this. He was just like, you have a beautiful sound. And I think that was a very early uh, influence on me to just say, oh, that that's that will always make people happy. If they just if they don't understand anything about else anything else what you're doing, they they will they will feel the beauty of music, and, and a big part of that is just the sound production. You know, mm. so that's always been my thing. All right, very cool. All right, well, we're going to wrap things up this evening with uh, the final segment of the show, which is brought to us by my good friends at uh, Robinson's Remedies, Kenny Robinson, Richard McCamall. Uh, this is the Robinson's Remedy Rapid Fire Round, a series of questions that will go all over the place. Just need your quickest answer, and uh, we'll see how this turns out. I have to, I have to get a buzzer. I really do. I need to get a buzzer for this. So. And get a trombone player to stand back there and just, you know, do something, make some yeah. awful noises. Um, well, for me, I'm usually really delayed in these patterns. All right. Well, let's see how this goes. All right. Here we go. First question for Mr. Kevin Burns. Who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? Uh, I, would, I would have to say, I would have to give credit to my two boys. I have uh, a... They are, they make me so proud. I'm so proud of them. And I, I just I, I find that I want um a pretty relaxed person. I don't I don't even as a musician who's been on stage, uh I don't feel like I seek attention or people's lauding me, but I, I feel like when my sons uh if they're proud of me, that makes me feel as good as anything uh in the universe. So I just always want to do that for them. All right, cool. What's your favorite book? Uh, like I said, I was I had studied. Uh, I actually have a master's in business administration. One of the one of the coolest books that I I, I think about uh, is a biography on uh, Warren Buffett. I was fascinated by him uh, because I I got my MBA during the height of like the eighties, uh, uh, the like these these high rollers that were just abusing the system. Right. And then here was the story of Warren Buffett, who had just this computer-like mind, who's, who was richer than all of them, times 10, and still lived in the same first house that he bought. You know, I, I, that just blew my mind. So I, I just wanted to really find out what this, what he was all about. And, and, and I was also at the time very interested in just kind of discovering investment principles in my studies. And so I, I, that's one of the most fascinating figures I've, uh, I've ever researched. Yeah, he's an amazing, amazing person. All right. Um, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Uh, oh, that's that's pretty easy. Um, have you ever seen the movie uh, Human Centipede? I have not. I've only seen the oh, trailers for it, but that, that was more than enough for me to go, you know. Oh, my God. Somebody talked me into watching that. That is the most disturbing thing I've ever seen. It, it, I mean, 
there's a handful of scenes that just like are are, ter- are, are just disturbing. Yeah. And and then the rest of the movie is just so bad. It's so bad. But that that, that that's definitely top of my list. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? Uh, another good one for me. Uh, I discovered about 15 years ago that I would totally drop the trumpet if I could be an Air Force fighter pilot. I got to ride uh, one afternoon. Brian experienced this with this this with me. Uh, there were a handful of us that were offered what they call an incentive ride when we played for a base out in New Mexico. And so we rode, every one of us rode with a pilot, a real pilot, a real fighter pilot on a two-seater fighter jet uh, for an hour. Like we just like weaving in and out of the New Mexico mountains. It was like Star Wars and we just scored supersonic and we were like, <laughs> I, I threw up twice. It was just it was, <laughs> it was insane. Like I had bags. I was like, Aah! and then they, cause they said, if you can feel like it, just do it. You'll feel better. And uh, Brian has this same story. It's funny to, to talk about it, but uh, that, that was such an incredible experience. Unlike any sensation I've ever had in my life. And just, just the, uh, just the, the, the raw power of that machine and the experience of doing that like routinely would, would be worth giving up even even something as, as that I love is like the trumpets. It was amazing. All right. Um, what would your uh, what would your your uh, your call call name be? <laughs> uh, it would probably be uh, K Rod, which is of course my first initial in my the part of my middle name. Uh, because I don't know why. Because if I'm playing, if I'm playing video games, I I, I usually put that on the screen. All right. Video, game, video games was a was a nice pastime on on some of our uh, airman tours. We you know, we were in some town, a uh, little town, playing for a wonderful community, but there wasn't much around the hotel. You know, we would just pile in a room and just play video games after the concert. So yeah, that was, that became you know one of my one of my things. One of the <laughs> one of those. Uh ways to pass the time all right what's your favorite drink oh i love i love exploring uh drinks but i'm always up for a a really good margarita Mm. uh frozen or not good question uh i usually will go to uh to some on the rocks uh just because it, I can usually get the bartender to make a, a like a higher top shelf version than just what's mixed in the behind the counter. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm definitely. I actually prefer no rocks. Just all right, kind of room tip. That's it. That's it. I like it that way. And actually, I tend to. Yeah, I, people tell me I'm crazy for doing this. When I make margaritas, I prefer using something like an añejo. I, I will go with that over a, uh, a Blanco. I will at least do a Reposado, but I've been known to make them with Añejos, and I've actually been meeting with Super Añejos, which was really stupid of me. Oh, wow. But uh, I just oh. like, like, like the complexity when you use an Añejo and you get some of the, the, uh, the different uh, colors that you get out of, uh, out of the extra aging. So Nice. We need to have a margarita hanging sauce like Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll, we'll bring, bring your best recipe. I make a killer uh, pineapple jalapeno. Get out of here. You'd be, you would, 
you're not gonna believe this, but I was about to say that. I there was I I want I got a recipe and I refined it and I for a while I, I I thought I have made the perfect drink. It is a pineapple jalapeno margarita. There you go, man. I, I obsessed over those for a while. Oh, it's so <laughs> so was I. I want I want your I want to taste yours. Okay, well, well <laughs> once once we get through this COVID crap, then then we'll we'll have a have a margarita hang for sure. Awesome. I I, I get down to D.C. somewhat regularly now. My uh, uh, my eldest stepdaughter lives down there, and so uh, and uh, you know we, we make the make the journey every once in a while. So we'll have to coordinate on that one for sure. Cool. All right. Um, now you, I, I would normally say this is a dinner party. Maybe this is going to be a margarita party. You could have a dinner party and invite any three living people, any three living people in the world. Anybody in the world can come to this party. Three people. Who would they be? Uh, I think it would definitely be Warren Buffett. Obviously, he's uh, talked about his book. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Jerry Hay before. I would love to to have a hang with, in person with Jerry Hay. He's he's one of my few uh, trumpet heroes from my very formative years that I haven't gotten to meet in person. Uh, one of the amazing things about this job is that I've, I've gotten to perform with and hang with just about every other trump, significant trumpet player that I... Uh, that I grew up with and that infected that affected my personal play, but he's he's like the the last holdout. I'm, I would love to hang with Jay Hay. I'm gonna pull uh, I'm gonna pull Stevie Wonder out of that. Oh man! Because okay. uh, I I actually got to meet him. Me and my wife at a at a he came to a to Blues Alley, which is a very was a very tiny jazz club in DC. To uh, to I was doing a gig and one of the guys um, was a was just a world-class uh, harmonica player. Um, and he was a good friend of Steve. And Steve, he was doing a, a concert at the huge arena downtown. But he came out to see this this little little show for his friend. Uh, so I, I, I got to meet him, but I needed I need to hang with him again because I didn't get a good picture of him. And I, it's a funny story because I was he's like the nicest guy but his manager was like the meanest person i've ever met and so i was talking with steve was like sir it's such a pleasure to meet you um love all your stuff do you mind if me and my wife get a picture with you i was like oh yes of course i'd love to and so i got next to him and just my as it was i was mean me and him my wife was going to take the picture and just before she clicked the thing his manager put his hand over my wife's phone and so my 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 picture with Stevie Wonder looks like this. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I need to get I need to recreate that. And he was such a gentleman, such a, a sweet person. I think he'd be a great tank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I, I yeah. Stevie's one of those guys that just uh, is a constant inspiration to me. Uh, you know, all through his career. All right. So uh, you've got three additional seats at this dinner party, and you can invite three additional people but uh they need to be people from history so people uh, that are no longer with us uh i would probably for starters i would pick the uh the grandparent that i had the least amount of time with on this earth he was my father's father my granddad um because he he passed away when i was uh still adolescent early teen so i missed a lot of uh, uh time with him that i got to spend with my other grandparents who unfortunately stayed a long time uh, with us um 
and he was such a character and he taught me how to fish and he was just such a just a fun person to be around and I, i've always thought as a from a trumpet playing standpoint i would love to hang with uh, conrad gosler just to hear stories and just to like the to pick his brain like you you kind of alluded to it earlier like some of the best lessons you can ever have is just hanging with the a musician that, yeah. that you respect and i would just like to know what was in it so like how he approached the horn because there were so many I, I i didn't realize this till till later in my life uh let's say late 20s that most of these older recordings that i just just went crazy over almost all of them are Conrad Gosling, just these old studio recordings. It could be a Frank Sinatra, it could be this artist or this band or whatever. And the lead player was just so, just a fat sound, just swung so hard, just perfection. And inevitably it would end up being Conrad Gosling. Yeah. That, that's when I started kind of my fascination with him. Uh, of course, unfortunately he died very young. Uh, but that, but just, to, just to be in somebody's head like that as a professional would be really, cool experience um number three uh let's go let's go way back in history uh like thomas jefferson like the founding father who wrote so much and then and in one hand i would have such would be such an awe of this person but the other hand i would have to i would have to ask him i'd be like how could you how could you write there? All men are created equal, and then allowed slave, allowed this this travesty to be at the front end of our democracy. Like, yeah. just tell me about this. I this is a brilliant mind. Just tell me about this. And like, I would, and I would just, I would just love to have a conversation. Just like, well, this is what happened as a result of these decisions that you made. You know, I. That, that's a. There's a. There's a there's something that most most of my life I I you know I was grown I was was taught to completely revere you know the family causes and then and then I and I and then I started wrapping my head around the fact that they, they that they let these things things slip through that were such a travesty and so I was like I just want to ask one of them why you know why yeah as smart as you were why why did why did you let this happen yeah so. yeah well that would be a very interesting conversation I'm sure. All right. Uh, next question. Lacquer plated or raw? Um, I have fallen in love with silver plated and lacquered horns, but uh, I, I, I probably would pick lacquer just because I, the the horn that I do have, I think is a design choice, but it's a, it just it has the the sound that I love. Uh, and I, you know, I I remember that transition from going from like as a young player in high school or early college to the point you gotta have the silver because it's, it's just so much more valuable than lacquer. And then I transitioned to the place where like, you know, lacquer is like, can be exactly the sound that you need, that you want, and that, that, that gives you the flexibility of this or that. It's, and you take away just a little bit of that zip and, you, and you're deep into the beauty of, of the sound that you're looking for. Yeah. So uh, each has a role. If I had to pick, it would be lacquer. Okay. Um, I like uh, raw because uh, I'm not to worry about keeping it clean. So uh, <laughs> what's your favorite quote? I love good quotes. It wasn't that long ago, actually, that I discovered a quote 
uh, from Winston Churchill. And I, I love, uh, I love a good double meaning, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, this double meaning, he, he didn't intend at all to be what the way that I take it or the trumpet players would take it, but it's a really good quote, uh, for trumpet players too. <laughs> and it's something like, like your day will go the way the corners of your mouth turn. <laughs> and what he's saying is, you know, smile, right, be right, positive. Right, right. But the same goes for trumpet players. And just like, if this is working correctly, your day's going to go well. If this is not working correctly, you're not going to have a good day. <laughs> so I, I love double meanings. And so that's, that I kind of latched onto that when I, when I discovered it, I, okay. I first saw it on a, uh, on a nondescript like me. And I, and I started typing in, I wanted, I wanted to know who said it. And I was like, kind of excited that it was somebody as notable as, as notable as Winston Churchill, um, because it had that, that gave it some like prominence, but it, it gave, but I love that double meaning for trumpet players. Uh, I think you need to, uh, to make a, make a me, make a t-shirt with, uh, <laughs> a nice embouchure yeah, on there. Yeah. With some, with him, with a horn in his hand. So. Yeah. In, instead of a cigar, give him a, give him a, a an 8B. Uh, what is your greatest fear? My greatest fear would be that harm would come to any of uh, my, loved, my loved ones, my kids, my wife, anybody that, or even my friends, just that I would, they would, you know, experience harm or even worse, you know, death ahead of me. Just, mm. just witnessing that, you know, is a, my greatest fear. Okay. Um, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? Uh, if you ask me that as a, as a kid, I would definitely say flying. If, if you, as an adult, I think time travel is would be an amazing thing. Uh, one of my, I don't rewatch a lot of movies, but for some reason, I can always watch rewatch the movie about time. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. uh, it's really it's really kind of a low key uh, movie, but it it just it's kind of a fascinating about the exploring what what could happen if you had the ability to just organically you know, go back in time at any moment. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Okay. I think I would use it to really bolster my investments. <laughs> <laughs> I always, I always think, and this must be from my, my business school days. Oh man, I should have bought that stock like 10 years ago. Like that kind of stuff. Always, you know, yeah, if you bought yeah. Apple, Tesla, Facebook. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to, yeah, not like uh, Back to the Future, you know, not be- betting on baseball games or anything like that. Let's let's do stocks. All I right. Did hear, uh, I, I will say this. I, I, I did have my mind blown recently because I finally heard somebody talking about time travel. And, it, and, it, and I was like, wow, nobody has ever ad- addressed this piece of it. And this was this, this woman, she was saying, if you're able to, to go back, if you're able to time tra- have control over time travel, you also need to have control over space travel and like where you're at. He said, because the Earth is traveling around the sun at 17,000 miles an hour. If you just even go back five minutes, you're in just deep space. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. okay, that's, that's a really fascinating point. That, that, that is a good point. Yeah. You'd, you'd have to, to have pinpoint accuracy with that one. All right. Um, what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most overrated? I mean, 
it would be just the whole high loud fast thing. That's kind of three things, but I, you always hear it in, in those those three things. It's the most exciting thing. It's like the most visceral that you first kind of get into when you're picking up the horn and trying to learn it. Um, but that's you know ultimately that's that's not where the music is, and that's not even where the money is. You know, as a pro. Yeah. Uh, what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most underrated? Uh, I mean, going along with that, and I kind of referred to it before, is just just the just being able to play a beautiful melody, like with the phrasing of a vocalist that just that just warms a person's soul. You know, the trumpet is capable of doing that. It's not all just flash and fanfare and like piercing high notes. The, the beauty of the instrument that that really reaches people is is that you know being able to to find a melody that's that's an intuitive piece that's also like a a gift I think that I found that not even every musician has the ability some musicians are so into the technical side that they lose the the ability to just just pick up the instrument think of a tune in their head and just play it. Just play it from from their ear with just a beautiful phrasing that just that just just makes you happy. Yeah, uh, that that is not paid enough attention to by young players. Yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, speaking of your superpower, you have the ability to go back in time, and you want to give yourself one piece of advice about music. What would it be? And I should also learn to play the bass. <laughs> I would have less hernias and uh, less uh, you know, headaches. <laughs> and more gigs, probably. Like more gigs. <laughs> uh, not abandon trouble, but just, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just, 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 just in addition. That's another, that's, that's a good backup for any <laughs> musician. Just learn the bass. Play the bass. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, well, what advice would you give your younger self about life? Uh, I, I'll go to something that uh, I've probably expressed to my sons more than anything. And now they're 20 22, almost 23. Uh, it's, a, it's an ancient saying. Uh, I heard it all my life. Didn't really didn't really click to me until I was older. I mean, I think it goes back to ancient Greece. It's just simply know thyself know who you are before you make any decision just dig deep on who you are particularly comes in handy with relationships but with any kind of decision you got to know who you are and because any long-term commitment because uh you're 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 always going to you guys you're always going to end up at where you are so you can't fake fake a decision through trying to be somebody that you're not so know who you are and be that person yeah that's great advice. All right, and our final question. What do you want your legacy to be? Uh, this is like what people think of you after you're gone kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that, um, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm recognized for some modicum of success in this, this business, this music or trumpet business and military band business, uh, I want that to be preceded by the fact that uh, I made that journey by doing 
kind and respectful to everybody that I came across. Yeah. Well, that is a good way to live life. Uh, you know, I think if we, we all adopted that, that uh, things would be a lot different. You know, we could actually sit down and talk with each other like we've uh, been doing for a while and, and sharing and and just uh, learning to um, connect to the points that we share in common as opposed to focusing on the, the areas that we that were different. So I want to thank you so much, Kevin, for sharing your uh, experience, your uh, your insights. And, uh, you know, it's been really great. And I wish you nothing but the best of luck with things as you go forward into uh, the post-COVID world. And uh, I hope that uh, the airmen continue to uh, produce some some fantastic stuff. I mean, it, it is a great band. And if anybody has not, not seen the airmen perform, you, you need to do it because uh, the recordings are great. But there's nothing like being in the audience and uh, just just not only hearing the sound, but the synergy as, uh, as Kevin was talking about the, the connection, not just between Kevin and, and Brian, but, but that band functions like, like one individual working together. So, um, it's certainly worth it. So, uh, please check out the airmen and, uh, and all the other military bands, you know, they're, they're all doing a fantastic job. So, so once again, Kevin, thank you very much, my friend. And, uh, let's, uh, try and get that margarita hang on the books. Definitely, Jose. I'm looking forward to that as soon as possible. All right. Sounds good. And for those of you joining us on the Trumpet Guru's Hang, as always, remember, peace and slide grease. We're out. <laughs>